Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. That's the second time it's gone off. And I said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good luck. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. Second captain, first captain, whatever. This is the Irish Times Second Captain's Podcast with all my Devin and Kieran Murphy. Hello there, all. Hi, Kieran. Hello there, everybody. Hello, everybody. I don't know if you have ever received a phone call at just the wrong time. In Go this on. case, the wrong time is two minutes from the end of the World Cup final. Who's seriously like? Who's ringing you at two, two minutes to the, from the end of the World Cup final? Well, this is the thought crossing my head, Murph, as I glance down. Incredulously at my ringing phone. I didn't mm. even have it on silent as I usually do. Why so, would you? I mean, it's, it's the World Cup final. The entire world is watching this event. Who could possibly be ringing you? My mom. Oh. Okay. Well, sorry, Mrs. McDavid. I, I mean, I'm sure it was just you misdialed it or something, or you know, yeah. it rang it in your pocket or something. I answered it though. Well, why did you do that? Well, you can't blank your mom. Oh, that's where you're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> that's where you're wrong. So uh, I, yeah, I answered the call. Yeah. And I said. Mom, the World Cup final. It's like two minutes from the end of the World Cup final. She goes, oh, the World Cup is on. And I went, yeah, yeah the final. And she goes, all right. Let me just, I won't keep you long. I just want to, and I, 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 you know, see, uh-huh. I, maybe I shouldn't be telling this story because I come across as <laughs> being mean to my mother. Yeah, I mean, okay. that, that, nope, you can never feel sympathy towards somebody who is. There is no judgment so here on. I just said, um. I'm judging myself even as I say no. I just I just reiterated that we're in the final two minutes of the World Cup How final. Did you, reiterate is is a is a word open to interpretation. How was there bad language used? Oh, of course it wasn't bad language. I didn't curse down the phone. I just again I just mentioned it and I, I quite quickly I wrapped it up. Hey, you know I mean we've both been on the phone today. Ken Early, for example. Yeah. You know how Ken ends phone calls. I mean you can be could be the greatest conversation you've ever had with the guy. You think I've already tapped into the real Ken Early in yeah. this conversation. Could be on for. Four or five hours on the phone. Yeah, or on of course. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're like we're like a group of teenage schoolgirls sometimes. <laughs> and then it just ends really abruptly, no matter what. Yeah. All right, bye. Says Ken. Well, that's, he d- that's he d- a little bit like what I was like. But he d- he doesn't say bye even. I mean, I, the amount of times where I've hung up without saying anything because I'm like, the last ten times he's rang me, he's hung up without saying goodbye. So I I've started doing that now as well. So it's oftentimes once I've said my piece, I'll just hang up on Ken because you know I don't want him. <laughs> you know, bullying me like that, mm-hmm. but um, you saw so you you were rude to your mother. Can I can I give you two options now in retrospect? Okay, mm-hmm. you've you've done what you've done now, right? Yeah. The the you've sque- you know you've the toothpaste is out of the tube now. But I have to learn for the next World Cup in case this happens again. Precisely. 
So, is it less rude to just not answer the phone there? I I would say that it's less rude. I mean, your phone could have been left upstairs. It was an honest mistake, mother. I'm sorry. Yeah, that's true. I think that's probably the way to go here. I thought it might be an emergency. What's the second bit of advice? No, that's there. There were two options. Oh, there were two options. I took the. You went for option two. Option one. But I did think the way to go. There is always the fear that something bad has happened. You know, is that just me who fears that? Am I living? No bad things happening. I don't know. But so I just wanted to clear it up that everything was okay. There's there's no no issues anywhere. Anywhere within the family. I'm gonna say, if if there was a problem, she'll ring back. If it was just a general chat, then you know maybe she'll just leave a voicemail. They always. Leave a voicemail. Marcella Mori Arago was on the show um, last Thursday. Marcella's a very good journalist based in Buenos Aires. When we spoke to her, she said that, um, well, she was very philosophical. She said getting as far as the final was like winning the World Cup for Argentina. That's certainly how she felt about it. The players didn't seem quite so phlegmatic about the whole thing, uh, particularly as Leo Messi was trudging up to get his golden ball, looking mm. uh, very reasonably disgusted with the, the whole thing. Yeah, I mean, I th- I think, to be honest, that it was a pretty special corner of hell for Lionel Messi to have to walk up all of those steps, have everyone shoving camera phones in his face and taking photographs of him twice. And at neither stage was he presented with the World Cup, <laughs> with the World Cup <laughs> trophy. I mean, I don't really think that they thought that went through, really. You know, I mean, surely they could have just left Messi up there and let the Argentina team join him rather than camera in his face for a full two circles of up the stairs, down yeah, the stairs. Yeah, but it's all about... It was, this, it was a weird pro, trophy presentation, even for the German team. Um, Rousseff, President Rousseff was sort of shoehorned in there. It was Valka has the trophy. Was, was it Valka? I think it was your own Valka there with the mm. trophy and Sepp Blatter standing beside him. Blatter is trying to position Philippe Lam somewhere closer to the trophy. You're just kind of waiting for the trophy to be handed over. And then suddenly out of nowhere, they probably wanted to minimise the amount of time that the Brazilian president was on yeah. screen. They quickly it gets handed over I think via Sepp Blatter to Rusev to Philippe Lam yeah. with not quite enough time to actually boo the president and then uh, just as uh, the president stays within camera shot just to the side of Philippe Lam probably quite wisely and I don't know how deliberate it was Yogi Love steps directly in her way so mm-hmm. you can't even see her and he's just he's in all the photos now. well I would say um, that yes your criticisms are justified and yes I even thought that it was a bit of a mess but trophy getting presented in, you know, in the stand as opposed to on the pitch. Always a big fan of that one. Oh, yeah. Always a big fan. Oshin McConville is going to be in a little bit later on to talk about his county, Armagh. And uh, I guess they were the story of the weekend. Well, I mean, Mayo did win their fourth Connick title in a row. But Armagh shocking Tyrone was a pretty interesting one. We'll talk about that. And we're going to talk right now about the Hurling Championship, Murph, which I'd like you to compare to this time last year. Are we, are we at a stage where we can say it's as good as, Ooh. better than? Okay, well... In the last two weeks last year, Dublin won their first Leinster title in donkey's ears. Mm-hmm. And Limerick, yesterday, last year, won a Munster final uh, in ex- quite extraordinary scenes in the Gaelic Grounds in Limerick. So I think Anne Kilkenny had beaten Tipperary in that qualifier to end all qualifiers in Nolan Park. So I would say that as of right now, oh, 2013 is edging it for I'm ed- It's edging slightly only because... Where where we are right now is probably a situation where Kilkenny, Cork and Tipperary all are sort of moving towards the front of the betting. And that's never good. Malachi Clerk and Maris O'Brien are here, guys. Thanks very much for calling in. No worries. No problem. 
Morris, commiserations to you, both of your counties, Dublin and uh, Limerick, have been beaten within the space of a week. I know, yeah, I need to find another county now. <laughs> running, I'm running out of uh, games to go to. But uh, yeah, disappointing from Limerick point of view, but marvellous occasion down in Cork. Um, fantastic colour, fantastic, you know, right up to, I suppose, you're, you're, you're looking into the last 10 minutes before Cork really took it, you know, and it was a fantastic occasion. Cork probably the better team overall just about yeah you you were at the game as you're saying you did get that sense that this was a pretty good pretty good day to be at yeah fantastic day to be at like you know straight away it's a massive occasion you know the, the crowd is really up for it like um, you know, the parade going around the field was amazing you know it was real real old school monster final day like you know what, what, what you were taught as a kid growing up like you know fantastic occasion and the game in fairness lived up to it you know and it was a super ding dong battle all the way through um, yeah, like I suppose you'd say the start of the game was was a really kind of <laughs> shadow boxing to a degree. A lot of missed chances on both sides, you know, and, and Limerick probably rude now his misses when it came to the end. The question they're probably asking in Cork is whether the new ground or when it's rebuilt it will maintain that atmosphere. I suppose it's never going to be the same. We've seen this with Lansdowne Road, we've seen this with other places, but it depends on where your teams go. If you can create yeah, occasions, I, it should be all right. Atmosphere is always down to people, I always find, rather than stadiums. Like yeah. I've, I've been, you know, people, you say that, they, you know, Croke Park couldn't take a, a soccer game. There's no atmosphere at it. I remember when they played the um, was it the quarter? playoff against France? Yes, and the playoff against France. Italy as well. Yeah, the, the place was just hopping. So, so an atmosphere is down to the occasion. Like there have been plenty of days in Parky Creek that had no atmosphere. <laughs> <laughs> but yesterday was the occasion. It was the crowd. It was you know particularly a Limerick crowd. You know you got to say like they take very little encouragement. To go bananas, you know, mm. like even during the parade, they threw a green flare down onto the pitch and, uh, you know, like the smoke, green smoke rose up into the stands and it was really kind of visceral. Um, so it was, I mean, it was a, it was a great place to be yesterday. We were talking right? about this championship as being developing into maybe the, at least as open as last year, maybe even more open, but Clare gone now, Limerick, I don't know, it's unfair to write Limerick and Dublin off, they're both still in the championship, but is it starting to go back to the old big three now, Kilkenny Cork tip? Looks like it, really. I mean, it, you you couldn't rule anybody out. I mean, Dublin cannot be as bad again the next time they're out, uh, and if they are, they will go out. Um, I wouldn't count Limerick out. I mean, Limerick absolutely, you know, the the thing that, that that over the winter Limerick would have said crippled them in going into the semi-final was the level of hype around the county mm. and the weight of pressure and all of that. They don't have that this year. You know, they 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 come in, they'll find their feet. They they'll be in the last six. Um, but it really does look that certainly the best three teams that we've seen of the summer so far are Kilkenny, Cork, and you know Tipperary when when they get around to it. Limerick, I guess they didn't, they don't quite have the pace and mobility, it's fair to say, of the Cork Fours. I mean, the Cork Fours are incredible when they're involved in the game. Uh, they're absolutely unbelievable. So how do you, how should they have made that up yesterday? Or what can they do looking ahead to maybe make up for that deficit? Yeah, like, there's very few forward lines have that kind of pace. You know, Alan Cadigan, like, Harnady and Lee Han, like, mm. this, it's raw pace, like, and, and it's electric to see it, you know. Like, they're not going to really face that most days. Um, how, how you shut it down, it's hard. it's debatable how you shut it down when they get in when they get into that kind of groove. Um like Dublin had the same problems last year in the All Ireland semi final when these guys started running, you know. Um I suppose you look at I suppose one instance you look um Paddy O'Brien just before he was taken off. Mm. Connor Lehan absolutely skint him down the line like and you were like and 
I, I've experienced Mark and him and he is a flyer like you know and I don't think there's anything you can do Barry Brennan back to box it up like but like that's not Limerick's real style either you know they play they play 15 up you know like that so I don't know I, you'd have to bring a man back to box him up if they get into that kind of a groove really yeah and I, I, I suppose the, the, the point uh, as well is that at the other end Limerick's forwards don't have that pace you know that they, they are very very good hurlers um, but if you look at Shane Dowling Kevin Downs they're lethal under a high ball but it's the wide open spaces, they don't want that. Whereas Cork want the game played as, yeah. as... Basically, the Cork forwards want to be as far away from other forwards as possible and the Limerick forwards would prefer them to basically throw a blanket over them, really. And you saw yesterday, Nash didn't have a save to make. Now, that was a lot down to Shane O'Neill, but the Limerick really didn't threaten a goal. The, the, that Darling had that one chance where he caught it, turned and O'Neill had an amazing block. block oh, yeah. But... But otherwise, you know, Limerick didn't really have that goal threat. And and you did sort of feel, even though Richie McCarthy had a fabulous first half, a really storming game, you still did feel that uh, this was a matter of, the, of of one break, one breaking ball, and that's how it worked out. You know, Harrity got onto the puck out and straight through. Like, yeah, I suppose you, you looked at it um, at the start, Limerick kind of got all, like you see Richie McCarthy there, like they got all them key battles and they were kind of winning all them key battles for the first 20 minutes. You know, James Ryan was probably getting on top in the middle of the field. Um, dude, Tom Condon was on top with Alan Cadigan, you know, and, and it was just kind of turned maybe after 20 minutes that probably Cork's main guys probably just beginning to turn over and start to win those battles. And that was the turning point and... and Really, from from there on, you suppose you look at twenty minutes in, Cork got I think was it seven or eight points to one at one stage and mm. took them into a lead that they probably didn't deserve at that stage. And well, I feel they didn't deserve because Limerick had passed up a few chances, you know. So and then you're looking into Limerick kind of catching a few points back, facing into half time that they really should have been up at that stage. Yeah, hugely, you know. And I think this that's one thing to, that this Cork team are very very good at is staying in games when they're getting beaten. Yeah. Uh, you know they're they're yeah. getting beaten all over the field, yeah. and that's uh, probably a lot down to Patrick Horgan's free taking. Maybe not so much yesterday, but they just have an ability to, you know, you you kind of look maybe sometimes at Conor Lahan is has he touched the ball all, all that often and he's got four points that's from the play. Key. The, the, it is down as well to their innate confidence. You know that that um, they don't need to be touching the ball every exactly. Two minutes you know to, they don't need to ease themselves into the game. Conor Lahan exactly like that. I mean, you think of his goal against Clare last year. I don't think he had touched the ball before it. Uh, Patrick Cronin and Patrick Horgan both scored amazing points at the end of the drawn game against Clare last year, having not had the ball in their hands for the whole second half. So they don't need to get themselves into the game. How much of that, that is that down skill. to Jimmy Barry Murphy, though, Malachy? Because they didn't look too innately confident a couple yeah. of years ago. And it's just this guy's amazing. You see him there, all the nostalgia. He, he should be from another age. You see him yeah. playing in the yeah. football and the hurling in the His entire in the 70s. His career spans the whole Porky Queen yeah. history yeah. we've been reading yeah. about. Yeah. And yet he's just, he's just, well, for a start, he looks around the same age yeah. I do, <laughs> which is dispiriting <laughs> in one way. But he just, all, all those things are the great man managers have the ones that go on for a long time like Alex Ferguson had this ability to connect with much younger men and instill that belief it's it's phenomenal really yeah, it's funny he's actually 60 in a couple of weeks in uh, I think the middle of, middle of August disgusting. he's 60 yeah. <laughs> disgusting thing and, you and just that head of hair we talked to Seamus Harnady after the game yesterday and um, I was actually surprised that, that he got man of the match last night because he didn't play well in the first half at all yeah and, and, and hit a lot of wides. He hit a lot of wide, yeah. yeah. And, we, and we were saying to him, you know, 
the goal came at a good time for you. You know, uh, you you weren't really getting into the game. And he says, he says, oh, you're right. I was looking at the sideline, expecting the curly finger. But he says, uh, Jimmy just came over, called me over at one stage and said, just next ball, don't worry about it. Next ball, next ball. And that's all. Like he just, you know, he 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 puts innate confidence into people. And you know, if you, if you're if you're a car curler and Jimmy Barry Murphy is telling you, yeah. I trust you. You know, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it doesn't seem like amazing management if it's Owen McDevitt telling you that. <laughs> but if it's Jimmy Barry Murphy, it's a rather well, maybe, different. Maybe in this studio. Yeah, exactly. You know, when Owen you know leans over, says something complimentary <laughs> mid-show. That's all I need, Valak. Yeah. Well, I was talking last night about the possibility, the outside possibility of Wexford maybe being contenders for an All Ireland and Murphy has been scoffing at that over the last 12 hours or so well, until he reads Nicky English in the newspaper this morning and says, you know, Nicky's, Nicky says they're to be taken seriously this Wexford side. I know, yeah, it's unbelievable. Uh, what about that Wexford performance, Morris? Unbelievable stuff. Look, I suppose we were here last week and look, we were complimenting their performance last week but we still didn't really give them a chance in the replay and look, they, they've turned it around and they've won it, you know. So look, you have to sit up and take notice of them at this stage. Magnificent performance again. Like you saw, uh, their energy is the thing that really gets me. Like, and I suppose Leo, Liam McGovern is the guy that really typifies that, you know. And again, he think he popped up with three points yesterday. And look, it was a marvelous, marvelous performance by them. You'd have said even when it went to when it goes back up to the fifteen minute side, facing into the extra time, that maybe they'd blown their chance again. You know, and look, I thought that as well myself. And again, they turn it around, they regroup and really, you know, they really pushed on in that extra time. Fantastic performance. I know you're particularly impressed with Liam Dunn and how he's managing them yeah. and motivating them. Well, it's, it is a, a really excellent feat. I mean, if you, if you look at, if you, if you take it as, as we're supposed to, that, that extra time is a new game. There was four games between those two teams over the past fortnight. Uh, Wexford won them all, but were only ahead at the end of one of them. Is the way to look at it because they were absolutely the better team each time, and even when they went into extra time the other day and they went behind, they still, still kept out, still kept out. There, it's a great management feat. Um, just as just the way he handles people, I think is is interesting. You know, if you take somebody like Jack Guiney. A year ago, two years ago, when he was coming through as a minor, as an under-21, I think he was, like, his year out of minor, he was taking the freeze for Wexford, you know, that kind of way. So, mm. so he, he would have been somebody who probably in his head thought, you know, I'm going to be the main man for Wexford for, you know, the next decade here. Dunn dropped him at the start of this year, you know, didn't play him, just, you know... Uh, whether I don't know, I don't know Jack Ian at all, and maybe maybe he is a, an exemplary attitude. But maybe Don has just kind of drawn in the reins a little bit. Said no, no, we have other players here. We have uh, young lads, we have older lads. We have a, a good mix. We don't need you to be to be our main man, except now we send them on against Clare, and he was fantastic. Yeah, he was the one guy who could shoot straight throughout Absolutely, the entire yeah. game. I, what what really has struck me about Don as well is the way he's gone about. It. It's been this really patient, incremental improvement yeah. in Wexford. Yeah. As it's not kind of uh, nearly a Jim McGuinness, Messiah-type no. um, transformation in Wexford. What he's done is just to be unbelievable. He said it from the very start, and he's, he's got, managed to get enough victories in the early part of his, of his career as Wexford manager to you know, basically keep the faith yeah. going. And he's also um, got Liam Griffin in there. Liam Griffin's coaching the forwards, being you know really being very much kind of standing in the background and saying this is this is Liam's team, Liam Dunn's team. 
But, you know, he's around the place. I mean, what a guy to have around the place. Just to even, you know, he, to inspire people mm. like Dunn, never mind the players. But, you know, like like Liam Dunn looks at him as a, as a kind of a father figure and to have him around the place. and As a vibes man. I don't know. Yeah, he's yeah. Bez. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. From the Happy Mondays. <laughs> but would you, I suppose you look at the age profile of their team and you're looking at, like, all these guys that are playing now would have been, like, like four and five years of age when they won the All Ireland last, mm-hmm. and they'd have been looking at, at, at Liam Griffin and Liam Dunn as being their idols then, you know. And to see like Liam Griffin probably stepped away there now for maybe 15 years, like, and to see him stepping back into it, like, really, you know, you know, it's fantastic for the county. And look, when they needed these guys to step up just to bring Wexford back up to where they should be, they, stu- they stood up. The thing is, they, can, they can't go back now. You know, whatever happens this weekend, you know, even, even if they get beaten by Waterford, this year has changed. Something like uh, they have the under twenty ones, they have their big scalp, uh, which is so long ago since they beat beat and a team that they weren't yeah. supposed to beat. If you yeah. put it that and way, the Wexford crowd really bind them again. You know, which which probably yeah, and for the last few like years. the Limerick crowd. You yeah. know, they don't need an awful lot of they encouragement. Don't need, you know, you know? They just need that sniff of victory, like yeah. and they're really back and behind. Which them again. set of supporters is more wild, Wexford or Limerick? That's a tight one, I would oh, say. Oh God, I'm probably going to have to say Limerick, but that's yeah, I'm not entirely sure. When, yeah, Wexford, when Wexford win the All-Ireland this year, Murph, we'll see. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. well, do, they might be in the All-Ireland final yet, who knows? What's the future for, well, for David Fitzgerald and this Clare team? Because he was talking afterwards about, you know, we, we heard about these dark forces a few weeks ago, and this time he was talking about issues within his own county that have to be sorted for him to be happy to go ahead in the next year or so. It all sounds a little bit messy within Clare this year. It's shocking that they're out and... It's July 14th we're speaking and Clare out of the championship yeah like they've, they've limped out of the championship really in a way like and I suppose we're looking back that it was the last time a, a team went out of the championship after winning All-Ireland but no win was Clare back in 96 when Ciarán Carey got the point to knock mm-hmm. him out so look they, they've looked really kind of drained this year I don't know have they been overtrained or, or what really but they really don't look the same team as last year Um Davies probably t- turned it into a bit of a siege mentality similar to what Loch Nyan did all them years ago as well and like I don't know is it, is it the way to go like they're too good a team to just to, to get into that kind of mentality you know I, I don't know what's going on in clear this what's happening or what really is the issue with Davy? like but they're too good of a team to get drawn into that kind of stuff I think yeah he didn't outline the issue after the match I'm but sure he never will yeah, <laughs> yeah sure. well we do know I mean the th- things that have been talked about have been uh, fixtures, club uh, fixtures yeah. and the lads playing football and these kind of things sure but like there isn't that inter-county I mean, management That's well I was just going to say you know the, like it, it's got to be exhausting to be on a war footing at every turn you know and you know it has worked for Davy all the way through from his, from his playing career to his management career and his various management guises um, you know it's me against the world it's it's you know the the dark forces are reigned against me and you know that it it can it obviously works on a certain level but you wonder if it works with a bunch of 22-year-olds who have their whole career ahead of them. Couldn't agree more. You know, that, that okay, when these guys are 27 and they're looking at their watch and going, right, I only have three or four more years here to, to pack in a couple of All-Irelands, you know, then fair enough. You know, then, then, you know, let's everybody grab our pitchforks. But, I don't know, at 22, if you're Tony Kelly and you're Podge Collins and, you know, you won an All-Ireland last year just by playing lovely hurling, um, I'd, I'd take it I, a stage fur, further in that you're talking about Loch Nan there, right? And the team that Loch Nan had 
was full of of quite spiky characters who had been beaten down. Yeah. For years, yeah, and uh, like these they, lads have won everything since they were sixteen. Yeah, like <laughs> the the Clare team of the mid nineties responded like perfectly to mm. how Lucknan wanted them to respond to that siege mentality. All the rest mm. of this, these Clare guys, as you say, are a really positive group of, of players. And like, obviously, it's in my head. But you look at the Germany team that won the World Cup last year, just really uh, or last last night unbelievably solid professionals who just want to do mm. their job to the best of their ability. I think that's the clear hurling team. They won the All-Ireland last year, though. I mean, we should be stressing this that is as the well. Thing, so what has Davey done differently this year? Well, you see, this, this is the thing. I, like, I think he's a, a really excellent uh, tactical manager. I think he thinks about the game in a really clever way. Like, he looks at the strengths and weaknesses of his opposition and adapts his team uh, accordingly, which not all managers have the wherewithal to do or have the ambition to do, you know. So I, I, but I just think that that at uh, at a certain level, if it's it's the old um, the old adage that if everything is a disgrace, then nothing's a disgrace, you know. That kind of way that that if you're fighting against everything, then when it comes time to fight, it all just kind of melds into one, and you don't really lift it that that little bit extra. Mm. So I I don't know and and. I don't know how, I, 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 as far as I hear, the players absolutely would follow him to the ends of the earth, but it only takes a little bit. It only takes a little bit. And however much kudos we give Wexford, the All-Ireland champions being given 180 minutes ought to beat them. Morris, I think that's, you know, they ought to beat them. What's your reading of that and how Dave Fitzgerald is doing? Yeah, look, he's a real... Like, I know Davey well, like he's a real players man, you know, like he, he, he would be, he'd have a bond with them players, like a really special bond, like because that's the kind of guy he is. What he portrays outside of that dressing room is slightly different to what he is inside that dressing room, you know. Um, I just don't think, like the way they went about it this year, that kind of siege mentality against everyone else, I think it's it's easier to do that with a team that hasn't won. Like it's hard to turn around with a team that has just won in All Ireland. They've won twenty ones. They have a lot. Like they've won everything really. To be fair to them, and it's hard to create these siege mentalities with a team that's used to winning. Like you need like a team that has, you know, like that they're they've taken defeats and like really like as Daly has probably said to us, enough is enough. Like some we have to stand up and now we take on the world together. But these guys have conquered the world. You know what what what's against them really? You know, like I think they're creating things against them that aren't against them. They need to concentrate on the hurling side of things more than creating these things. You said he uh, builds a bond with players and that they respect him. Would you give him enough credit that he could actually see what you're talking about here and maybe turn it around next year? Because he, we, we know he can be an abrasive guy and he takes these things upon himself, but might he be able to look beyond that for next year? I've no doubt what he will. Like, there, there nobody analyse what happened clear this year more than Davey. Like, he will, he'll agonise over this all winter. And, like, you know, he will, and he'll come back with a completely fresh approach next year. Like, and he always does. He's always self improving, he's always improving things. I've no doubts about it, but he will come back with a new approach, fresher. And look, if he if he, if he made a few mistakes, look, he'll analyse his own performance as well. If he if he thinks he needs to change things, I've no doubt, but he will change them. All right, Malachi, you saw Tip at the weekend as well. Yeah. They're up against Dublin next. Um, I, I, there was a few minutes early in the second half where I just thought, often you have a half a chance here. They got down to within four points, and maybe if they had higher fitness levels, it's just this is temporary. Like they, I mean, they they were two goals up after four minutes. Uh, and like the game was over, you know, as far as anybody's concerned. But you know, Offaly got like seven of the next ten points or something like that. They really like they just kind of uh, stuck in it. Fair play to them. They they really stuck at it. Tipperary played for about 
maybe four five minute spells in the game and won by 25 points um, they are a really stunning team when they put it together you know they have but the triangle between Bonner Maher Shamie Callanan and Lara Corbett is so beautiful mm-hmm. to watch like it is effortless Corbett's first second goal um, Shamie Callanan came out and gave a little flick that you just had to be seen to be believed and none of the off players did see it and <laughs> Corbett ran through onto it and finished it and it was just gorgeous they and but in the second half, you're right, they went in 10 points up. Offaly got a goal straight after half-time, which went back to what we were talking about last week. It was it was just a ball that dropped in the square and wasn't defended properly, and, and Offaly got the goal. And then they tapped away with points and points and points. It got it back to four. And then Tip scored six points in five minutes mm. and finished the game. And Owen Kelly's back as well, which is a mm. big sign for them yeah, off the bench. Brilliant to see him back, you know, and he's really the forgotten man at Tipperary there the last year or so, you know, and fantastic to see him back, you know. Look, how how much you will see of him when it comes to the crunch, I'm not too too sure really, like, but it's it's great to see him back. Um, I think Lark Corbett being back is, is the real plus. Mm. He looks like we haven't seen Lar fit with a while. I suppose it's a couple of years since we've seen Lar really in full flight. He looks to be back there again. He's the he's the major plus. He still has the legs for it. Him and Callanan running at you. A scary prospect. He seems to have complete carte blanche to do whatever he likes on the pitch. Yeah, at one, uh, yeah. At one stage, he went back and uh, caught a ball at full back, and everybody's going, "Is that Lar in the yellow helmet? What the hell is he doing back there?" And he just kind of dundered around, and wherever he wanted to go, he went, and it was. Um, yeah, it, it, it's it's working well for them when when they can, now you can't couldn't expect them to hit the same pitch as they did against Galway the previous week. Um, so, but they've what a fortnight now to, to yeah. hit the pitch against them. What about the tip footballers, Maliki? Should Murph be worried about his Galway team? Very much so. <laughs> they were. <laughs> I'm way ahead of you. They were excellent. That was that like. We will, at the end of the year, you know, kind of look back at the championship and, you know, what were the big games and all that. Don't let anybody forget this game. Leash against uh, Tipperary on Saturday was one of the best games of football I've ever been at. Tipperary were fantastic. They scored 3.17, 3.15 from play. Um, and they were excellent all through their forwards. They were wing-back Colin O'Reardon, who's going to be a real star. Um, I would I would absolutely make them favourites against Galway. All right. Murph is stunned into silence. Malachi Clerken, thank you. Morris <laughs> O'Brien, brilliant. Cheers. Thanks, guys. I knew the place. Clough, but he called me a rabbi. Didn't know them. He said to me, what can you do that the boss hadn't done? You, the boss. And I said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. But there's no way to win it better. Why not? Only, no, 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 no. But that's the only hope we're, we're, I've got. We're going to only lost four matches. Then, but that, well, I can only lose three. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good luck. Clough, that he calls me Revy. Good luck. Now, that might, that might be, you know, aiming for utopia, and it might, be, might mean being a little bit stupid. But that is the way I am. I'm a little bit stupid regarding this type of thing. I'm a little bit of an idealist. But having said that, I want to be like me. Murph, we need you to regain your composure here. Malachi wasn't trying to insult your very being there. But uh, you, 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 did, you did look stunned. No, I'm, yeah, okay. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm sorry. It just, you know, it, that, that hurts. That hurts me. 
I well, it doesn't hurt me that much because I do actually agree with them. But <laughs> nevertheless, or nevertheless, oh, great points the guys are making about Claire. I thought there was uh, really enjoyed the chat in general, but even the way they talked about the challenges facing them now and what they what they think Davey needs to do and whether or not he is going to do that. I actually want Claire to be. I, I just want next year's championship to start to see how they do. I'm fascinated by it because. We can't forget that they won the All-Ireland last year. It was a stunning achievement. We were talking about this time last year. I mean, this time last year, nobody was talking about Clare winning an All-Ireland. Yeah. They got there. Maybe they took advantage of a couple of breaks along the way. That's what you have to do. They were still being talked up as this genius team, unbelievably well-coached, all these great young players. So presumably they they are, you know, we're a year later. They haven't lost all of those qualities. Yeah. So we'll see what they come back with yeah, in 2015. It just seems a long way away now. Yeah, and yeah, and it, it's, it's obviously a huge challenge. But I mean, it's the sort of challenge where okay, you have players good enough to win All-Ireland. Uh, you've, as a manager, proved yourself tactically extremely astute and good enough also to win All-Ireland. So, you know, it's not exactly a hurt... You know, it's it's not Everest you're asking them to do, but at the same time, you know, it's just so interesting because what you're actually talking about is whether what you've drawn on in your own career... This is really what it's all about, mm-hmm. I think, you know, that what Davey drew on in his own career, he... That that doesn't work for this group of players. We don't. We don't. We're looking at it from the outside, but it doesn't look like it works for that group of players. So, do, is Davy? He's already a very good manager. Does he have that greatness in him to say, right, I'm a totally different person actually to the players that I'm managing, and how can I, how can I take what I've learned in my playing career and actually make it work for these guys who've grown up with nothing but but winning? But he did it last year. This is the point. So yeah. he he has shown he could do it in one year and. It did, but, Maybe he did approach this year differently. Maybe the pressure got to him. I don't know. It can, it can get to managers as much as it can get to players mm. of trying to put things back to back. But that's something we'll, uh, we won't know for another number of months, unfortunately. The Irish Times World Cup podcast is out now. It features Sid Lowe, Tim Vickery and Ken in Rio. We grabbed Ken very early before his flight home. So early indeed that the German fans were still boozing away outside his hotel. Mm-hmm. Um, but we'll get the latest reaction now from Buenos Aires. Marcela Mora, Iraco. Good to talk to you again, Marcela. You made the point to us late last week that you felt the achievement for your country here was in making it to the final and that that was a, that was a big one in itself. Are you still feeling as philosophical as that today? I am, yes. I think um, it was a huge achievement to get to the final. It, it kind of broke a spell, if you like, of um, Argentina not getting past the quarterfinals for a long time. And I think there was a, a kind of re-enamorment with, with football and with feeling part of the elite uh, if you like, not not just on the strength of history and tradition, but on on getting there, on reaching a big stage. And I also think um, it was a, a a game which could have gone either way. And I think the Argentinians put in a very good fight against a Germany that's absolutely excellent. Um, so I, I, you know, I don't feel a terrible sense of injustice that Germany have the World Cup. They were the best team in the tournament. I think. Um, unarguably, and and during the game itself, the final, it, it felt like it could have could have gone either way. Having said that, the Argentinian players were exhausted. I think some were injured. There was probably a couple of changes that 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 were a mistake from a tactical point of view, and um, you could see the frustration and the exhaustion on the players. They just couldn't. Uh, couldn't do more than that. I mean, Mascherano said immediately after the game, "That's that's it. Everything we have, we put there. We're empty now. We we've everything we've got." Having said all that, uh, interesting response 
from the nation, if you like, from yeah. society. I, I think there are many feeling uh, robbed or, you, you know, um, like some amazing opportunities gotten away from them, an opportunity that will never come back. There's been violent incidents in the center of town. There's kind of um, uh, quite confrontational exchanges between um various factions you know political or whatever it's it's like that we had a wonderful state of nirvana in the build-up to the final everyone was sharing the anticipation and the dream and 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 relishing the opportunity to be the best in the world and to be the champions and it was a very nice kind of couple of days with it with with an expectant nation just just enjoying the same dream. It took very, very little time after the final whistle for everyone to kind of sift back to their opposing uh, position. So you had on one side the State TV channel saying this is wonderful, we've learned a fantastic moral lesson about hard work and humility and... Um, uh, what a great uh, legacy has been left behind. And on the other TV channel, um, from the kind of news groups that are in stark opposition to the government, showing live feeds from the centre of town with the police shedding tear gas and water onto the uh, kind of factions of people throwing stones and looting shops. So it was a very, it was suddenly we were faced immediately with the reality of a society that is not at all unified with a single dream, but actually um, holding on very tightly to very, very opposed and, you know, hostile points of view. Is it too early to gauge what the feeling is towards Lionel Messi in this tournament and in the final itself? Would there be diverging views on that too? I'm sure there will be. I mean, I think there was a... um, quite a few uh, complaints, if you like, immediately. A lot of, uh, oh, you'll never be as big as Maradona, you know, you're cold-chested, which is an Argentinian expression for um, not not getting engaged emotionally, maybe with a, with a moment. Um, a lot of, you, you know, he didn't, where was he? a lot of where Messi was missing. And I think a lot of people also feel that he really is um, an astonishingly good footballer and he he is Argentinian. He belongs to Argentina, if you like. There's a kind of appropriation of the hero. So there, so there will be some um, clash of, you know, points of view that clash on that. Uh, he clearly didn't have his best game ever, and he was clearly disappointed himself. You could see in, on his face when he picked up the player of the tournament trophy. You could see it on the pitch before the extra time. He, um, I think he knows he has the ability to give more than that or to be better than that one final performance. But he did a very... Um, he had a very good World Cup, and I think... Argentina got to the final because of his performance and his input in earlier games. And, and I think that it, that will be acknowledged um, by a lot of people. So 
possibly too soon to say now, oh, Argentina rejects Messi or Argentina mm. loves and embraces Messi. But I suspect it will be, um, it won't be a cohesive response. Well, who knows? He might have another World Cup final in him in four years' time if he's if he's still around. But you would worry about the, his physical state, or would you? In the next few years, he's played a lot of football over the last few years. He had his injury earlier on this season, and I mean, he wasn't injured at the tournament, but he certainly seemed to seemed to to, to struggle to really hit an, an optimal physical kind of a shape. Or maybe, he, as everyone was saying, he was saving himself for the one great moment that didn't quite arrive. I don't know that he'd be saving himself. He doesn't strike me like um, someone who would have kept, you know, willingly kept more than than what he gave out of the game. I think, um, well, for starters, I think he was he was marked, uh, you know, quite consistently. And and for example, in the match against Holland, you couldn't quite gauge that whilst watching the match as much as when as uh, on subsequent viewings and you see that he's permanently got two or three players around him and i think there's a there's been times when they they've been able to find the space um to cope with that as a team and the final yesterday it wasn't so much messi being unfit or out of shape as the whole squad being completely drained in fact you know a couple of players that possibly shouldn't have played i think mascherano had a, had an excellent semi-final and was clearly in pain and drained and exhausted yesterday. And um, Aguero never quite hit his peak. He possibly shouldn't have played either. So I I don't think it's Messi that was unfit as much as um, just the squad that was exhausted, exhausted. So in four years' time, who knows? He will be older, um, but, you know, we, we, we'll all be older in four years' time. Why do you think, Marcella, that the whole squad was so tired? Is that just a natural attrition from making it that far? Is it, is it that they didn't quite have the depth to use more players when necessary? And I suppose the, the, the injury to Di Maria didn't help. But why do you think it is that Argentina looked maybe a bit more tired than Germany did? Well, I think there's a very uh, uh, kind of empirical fact, which is... Uh, Germany had a, a day, an extra day to recover and had won their semi-final in 90 minutes um, and really without uh, much strain. I mean, it was a little walk around the park. In fact, there's a rumour going around in Argentina that, um, that the coach told the Germans to stop scoring against Brazil because it was becoming offensive, but they could have scored 12 or 13 goals if they'd so wished. Um, Argentina had a day less and had played 120 minutes plus gone to penalties. That's the kind of exact preparation for the final. You know, that that would give one team yeah. that little bit more rest. I think also Argentina were had less, um, a, less of a variety of players. You know, you mentioned Di Maria injured. Aguero had been injured. I mean... A, Earlier in the tournament, we thought he might not make it at all to any games. And somehow he did play and was possibly not quite fit. Um, I, I, maybe they, they were just tired, uh, 
to start off with a little bit more tired than the Germans. I mean, one of the things that was striking about the German team in all its kind of splendor and glory um, was how fit and sturdy and, and kind of consistently uh, full of stamina the players were. They didn't seem to be to slow down towards the end of matches. And I think um, I think Argentina were just sucked out of energy uh, by yesterday beyond what was what they what they imagined you know i think yeah. uh, when you saw the massages they were receiving before extra time the pain you could almost sense it on the from the screens you know the, the their muscles were just uh, worn out and i suspect it's because there was less rotation and they were and they, and they maybe started the tournament more exhausted. Yeah, and Mascarano in particular, there was a great shot of him having some sort of cream rubbed into his calf and a, a very unpleasant looking deep tissue massage seemed to be taking place there. I don't think anybody envied Mascarano. Just, yeah. yeah, painful to watch, painful to watch. And I think if, um, yes, I mean, I, I don't know if they've had another day's rest or if they'd played half an hour less two days before what would have been different um ultimately i think it wasn't the most beautiful or uh, inspiring or skillful argentinian squad ever and uh and i think it was a kind of a, a very pragmatic squad that team that managed to say well this is what we've got and we'll use it as best we can to do as best we can and i think that was the best they could i really do i think um it would have just been odd if they'd won uh, the World Cup. I mean, it could have happened as well. They had a couple of very near misses and they, you know, they lasted almost to penalties. And if it had gone to penalties, who knows? But really, um, it wasn't the most inspirational football that Argentina has ever produced. And I think it, it was... Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, I'm just uh, thinking in the way you talk about the type of football that they had um, or that they produced. Is there a debate, or does there need to be a debate in Argentina about the future direction of of what their football identity actually is? Because it seems like everybody uh, or a lot of people are saying that this is should be happening in Brazil. That they're living in the past there, and that really they're not producing the same level of, of players in some ways. I mean, Argentina have just come within a couple of chances of winning a World Cup, so maybe it's a ridiculous question, but are they are the people in Argentina secure enough in their football identity or is there work to be done there? No, I think the debate about Argentina's football identity is an ongoing one and I can't imagine even winning the World Cup would put an end to it. Um, absolutely. And I think also Argentina are producing great players and... Um, consistently and the fact that uh, maybe they weren't all picked for the for the world yeah. cup is is another matter but uh, but you know there's not an issue here of of a lack of talent at all and that's uh, in itself a very interesting kind of uh, side of the of Argentina's relationship to football because i think the the sense of being a huge footballing power and a great footballing nation is derived from the amount of uh, individual talent that, that has been produced here and exported to the top clubs in the world. So that's um, there will be a lot of talk about that. At the same time, I think what's more likely to kind of uh, take over in the immediate aftermath is um, a sense of what kind of manager does 
does Argentina need? And, um, you know, this is a country that's been holding on to a, a dichotomy between the Menotti school of football and the Bilardo school of football for decades because they are two managers that won a World Cup each with very, very different approaches to football, not just on the pitch, but philosophically. They have very different ideas of football. And, you know, Menotti believes it's a lyrical game, an expression of uh, emotion, a, a thing of beauty, something that has to do with man's free time and with the whole concept of play, whereas Bilardo's is a a very tough battle for territoriality and a a kind of a strategic, unimaginative thing where you must always, you know, have your corner shots very well prepared and defend, defend, defend. And in fact, he famously says he didn't celebrate any of the goals in the 1986 World Final because he was scared that, he says, immediately after the goal, when you're happy and celebrating, that's when they'll score against you. So these are the two schools that have dominated, and we've had different kind of third ways uh, approach. You know, Bielsa, Peckerman, um, and now Sabella kind of coming up with a with with a kind of combination of both uh but but because no one's won a title those are the two ruling schools of thought and i think they will continue to be until something you know something else works um but yes i mean i think brazil's scenario is slightly different in that it's not not winning the world cup that's the issue for them it's an extraordinary uh, underpar performance, you know, a historically bad result. And uh, and I don't think Argentina has had that. So for a while, they will ride on the, uh, we asked, we, you know, we got to the final and we gave Germany quite a, you know, a run for the money. Yeah. Marcella, listen, thanks so much for talking to us throughout the tournament. Great to chat. Thank you. Cheers. I love the description of that um philosophical difference between Minotti's Argentina and Bilardo's Argentina where one is just all about the beauty and the aesthetics and the meaning and the poetry involved in football and the other guy won't even celebrate a goal in a World Cup final. <laughs> there is no joy in this, thinks Bilardo. <laughs> just, that's just, you know, eager. I think Mascarano would have been Bilardo's kind of player. Yeah. He, would liked, he would have liked a Mascarano on his side. He probably I had think, one. Yeah, I think so. I think so. I mean, you know, and what a World Cup Mascarano's had as well, by the yeah. way, we were talking about in the earlier show. Um, yeah, he's he's I think he's Bilardo's kind of guy. Sid made the point in that show in the World Cup podcast that he feels Mascarano. We could all see this, but is a midfielder. Everyone knows this. He was stuck in centre half, but he feels that that was almost negligent towards Mascarano that, that he ended up having to play there in the last couple of years, and that you know you're kind of taking away a couple of years of a guy's career in a certain sense. Mm. I'm adding a bit now to what Sid had said, but I do feel that Barcelona haven't done particularly right by Mascarano. Now, you've got to play where you've got to play, but it was quite obvious, what, even while he was there, that he wasn't as comfortable as he is in midfield. And at least now we got to see him uh, back where he belongs. Yeah, do the, the business at the highest level. All right, well, Oshin McConville joins us in studio. Oshin, how are you? I'm good, Owen. How's yeah, yourself? Not bad at all. You look pretty excited. You told us last night that uh, our Mac would have won by 15 or 20 points. You look like a man who's pretty excited I'm about gonna, I'm going to up that today. Twenty-five. <laughs> <laughs> I've watched the tape. They should have won by 30 points. No, they should have. They were, they were much the better team. Throw them of hugely disappointing. But uh, put all that together and and I'm at victory. And, and people would look at people. People from Armagh would have talked this big team uh, on on Saturday morning. Um, I would, I didn't see it coming. To be honest, the fancy throne um, to beat Armagh. 
Armagh hadn't beaten Tyrone since 2005. And uh, I was at the McKenna Cup game uh, this year and I beat me 21 points. Mm. And uh, I just didn't see it coming, but Armagh were absolutely... They were brilliant yesterday, in fairness, in every facet of the game. They were um, up and at it. They were uh, intense, um, phys- more physical than Tyrone were. And probably, to be honest, better organised. Better mm. organised than Tyrone were. And that's that's quite something to say, um, given the fact, that, given, say, even just last year, you know, all of the criticism of Grimley, uh, Mickey Hart managed to, you know, magic in some ways Tyrone into an Ireland semi-final. That's a big statement to make. It is a big statement, but... <sighs> I know I'm repeating myself, but 33 players gives you a sense of the fact that Tyrone really don't know where they are, where they are, um, who's going to step up to the mark. Uh, one of the criticisms, and I heard Andy McGinley on about it yesterday, was that um, Tyrone, I suppose, have introduced certain players at different stages uh, through the league and the championship. Certain players have played and then disappear. Mm. Don't get introduced as one of the five or six subs, and then all of a sudden reappear two games down the line in a starting lineup. Like I, I don't know, I just it just doesn't add up. Um, like far be it for me to criticise Mickey Hart, you know. But one of the criticisms that you would level at him is that he hasn't brought that 08 minor team. He hasn't brought them on. He hasn't given them enough time, uh, enough game time. We're talking f- uh, most of those guys are twenty three. Some of them come in 24 now. So, like, they've been introduced now. Really and truly, they should be established inter-county players at this stage. And they're not. They're still trying to find their feet. And a lot of them look as if they possibly won't find their feet at senior level. Yeah, well, Hart says he is going to be staying on yeah, for so another year right anyway. So that he's, got, he's got a year left. He'll honour it then. Um, I guess the challenge is to pick up the pieces from his point of view. But I do want to focus on Armagh for the time being because Peter McDonnell... Was speaking, they are doing a tiny bit of um, <laughs> tiny bit of media. It's Armagh TV that Peter McDonald, who's one of the selectors this year, was uh, was speaking to after the game. Let's hear what he had to say. Well, listen, those boys have trained very, very hard. They've put in an awful lot of time and effort. There's been a lot of criticism levelled against them, and they haven't stopped. And when you walk into a dressing room after an event like this and see lads on their hands and knees crying because of how much it meant to them, then it's something to be truly proud of. And for people to be truly appreciate how lucky they are, that regardless of where we are in, in the history of Armagh football, that there's young lads there that are prepared to put life and limb on the lane for their county, and the least that they can expect is to be embraced and supported by their own. It's a pretty emotive image of the boys crying on their hands and knees in the dressing room. Yeah, it's typical Peter McDonald's probably a bit much, but um, I suppose one of the things that, that I would say about it is that um, Armagh have been criticised at different times during the year, but rightly so, they have been criticised. I'd be the first one to say after yesterday's performance that they deserve all the credit. The boys in that dressing room, Paul Grimley, Keir McGinney, they all deserve a huge amount of credit, and um, let's hope that they can f- uh, follow it up. It's that the the Peter McDonald stuff is a little bit dramatic, maybe a little bit overplayed. Maybe that's the motion of talking straight after a game or something. But I did say yesterday that <coughs> if Armagh were to beat Tyrone in uh, in Oma, that would be one of the best victories in the last twenty years. Yeah, and that's a surprise factor. I guess this is one of the 
in any sport when your team wins and you're just not expecting it as you said there that's that that's what maybe adds to it sure Armagh have beaten throwing in bigger matches yeah. but th- you would have expected that maybe at the time yeah and I, th- I think that's what makes it pretty special I think Armagh people went yesterday to Tyrone in huge numbers and hope rather than expectation uh, I don't think anybody's under any illusions that this wasn't a, a throne team at the pick of the powers or anything else. But I think in, in games like that, it doesn't really matter. Yeah. I think it's the same as me doubling next week. I don't think that really matters. I think when you get into a, a situation like that, and if, if once Armagh uh, sniffed a bit of blood after about 25, 30 minutes when Matty Donnelly was sent off, they, they were able to kick on and win the game. And the, as I say, they deserve a huge amount of credit for that. And... and uh, I also said yesterday that it's games like this that can turn around not just the season but young fellas' careers. You know, as far as you know, now they are not in the shadow of Tyrone, which means a lot in Armagh. Uh, they're not in the shadow of this this great Tyrone team or or a Tyrone team on the wane or whatever it is. Um, but they can go now, stick out their chest, and 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 try and go on and achieve something. That's a that's one particular monkey definitely off their back. Yeah, they're also not in the shadow of. Armagh of the Armagh team that yeah. you were involved in I saw Pork Joyce was talking about this over the weekend that he feels that when Galway won those All-Irelands and he was a young player at the time for the next 10 years all it was was well no yeah. we're not doing this new thing we're not doing that because that this is what won us the All-Ireland a few years ago and it's almost maybe the, an entire county has to sometimes get over themselves a little bit yeah. and realise they're starting again yeah, and, exactly. and maybe that's what Tyrone have to do now. As we were talking about Mickey Hart earlier on. Maybe they have to realise, well, we got to an All-Ireland semi last year, but we're miles off this year, and we maybe have to look at ourselves a little different. Yeah, and I think one of the things that Armagh keep harping back to O2, because we don't have any other you know, huge things that have happened in our history. Um, people always talk about a midfield pair, and in particular they talk about he, this man's the next Paul McGrain. There's been about six next <laughs> Paul McGrains now at this stage, and none of them have actually lived lived up to that. But, it's not. I don't think it's about living up to that. It's about finding your own identity as a team, uh, and starting starting to walk towards you know the future. I'll be honest with you on last year um, when Armagh were beaten in the championship, it was no great surprise. Four or five of them left the next day for America. You know that sort of, that sort of thing that hasn't happened in Armagh football before. There's been more of a pride in it. Uh, I think that. It's more attractive now to play with Armagh, even in the last six to eight months, even though we have been relegated in Division 3. But I think all the good players in Armagh have put themselves forward now and are playing for Armagh. There's a few players probably who, who left, actually, for the States last year who haven't been recalling, maybe under this management, understandable enough. So there is a couple more players that probably could add to that squad. But for this moment in time, it's the one positive uh, I see, or one of the positives that I see is the fact that people actually want to play for Armagh. Yeah. You know, that they're not taking the easy way out and saying, I'll, I'll play with my club. I'll, I'll, they're actually throwing their, everything in with Armagh and they're, and they're trying to, to push the thing forward. Well, they'll be playing Roscommon in the next round. Mayo, Galway Murph will be up against Tip. Uh, mm. Just want to ask you about Mayo, though. I saw Lee Keegan, or Killian O'Connor afterwards, he created Lee Keegan's goal and he said that the, the reason he knew Keegan was on his shoulder and ready to run is that he's got a very high-pitched scream when he's looking for the ball, <laughs> which is quite, a, quite a, good, a, a nice advantage to have, I guess. Yeah, I actually used to play with a guy who um, I, you know, I, I never even used to look for him because he used to play wing back and he used to literally scream the word yes all the time until you <laughs> passed him the ball. So you had no choice because the sound was so yeah, yeah. ear-piercingly annoying 
that you li- you could do, think of nothing else but how can I stop this noise from entering into my brain? Mm. Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> that, that, that's how annoying it was. From about 50 yards. Yeah, from, so he would be making, I'd be getting the ball a corner forward. He'd be running from the opposite wing back <laughs> position. And I'm like, I don't care. I'm kicking this 50 yards back in his direction to stop him from, from shouting like yeah. this. But uh, I suppose I've gone slightly off the point here because... I uh, brought you off the point, Murphy. <laughs> <laughs> screaming, high-pitched screaming halfbacks aren't going to win you in All-Ireland necessarily, Oshin. But uh, did Mayo show enough yesterday to convince you at all? Well, they'll tell you what they have done. They look as if they're improving all the time. They look as if uh, they're going in the right direction. I think uh, Lee Keegan, is, like, he's, been, he's been absolutely superb for them the last couple of years. But what they need is a real marquee forward up front. And I know Murph... Uh, sort of disagrees about Killian O'Connor but I think he's one of the top six forwards in the country um, he's two great feet he's a brilliant free taker he's a, he's a goal getter but the one thing I, the one thing I really like about Mayo and I've liked it for the last couple of years as well and it was again in evidence yesterday is that when they get in for a goal chance nine times out of ten they'll take it I can't, if you look back at the big games that Mayo have played in the last year the amount of goals they have scored that are flicked into the net yeah. by, by the hand or kicked into an empty net because they've rounded the goalkeeper or taken the goalkeeper out of the game. It's actually hilarious to think about, say, the goals that they got against Galway last year, the Donegal. goals against Donegal last yeah. year. I mean, they, 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 they score so many goals via just flicks of the hand and, ro- and rolling them over the, over the end line, over the goal line. I mean, it's very, very clinical. That's a huge plus that they have that other teams, particularly Dublin, don't. Yeah, and I think you know when they come up against teams like when they come up against the bigger teams, they need to score goals, and uh, they scored them against Donegal last year, um, and they failed against Dublin. You know what I mean? And if they had to get a few goals against Dublin, they they probably well, there's no probably about it. They would have won the game. Uh, one thing that sort of um, that needs to be eradicated from the game is carrying the ball into the tackle and losing it. There's there's certain players that can carry it into the tackle. Seamus O'Shea. Aidan O'Shea can carry it into the tackle because numerous occasions you'll see three or four men hanging off him and he's still there. he still has the strength to go ahead. But I did call at the start of the year for, you know, to, for they have four of the best midfielders in the country and they needed to move Aidan O'Shea. I can, get, I can look a better balanced team when Aidan O'Shea plays at centre-half forward. I think he offers, obviously, you know, what he can do from uh, from kickouts who are up against a tough midfield and they, they did hit a lot of kickouts to him but uh, as far as break ball but as well as you know he's pretty creative going forward he played most of his football at mm. at minor level and under 21 at full forward or centre half forward so you know he's well accustomed to that and you know I can imagine if he gets another couple of games there he'd just keep getting better and better and he just if he can contribute a few more scores as well you know if he can, if he can bring that into his game then you know I think that's a better balanced Mayo team yep uh, I, and I, it's not really that I disagree with you in relation to Killian O'Connor either, because he is—he's an exceptional forward. He's a really, really good forward. But my concern for Mayo is that they spent all—they spent all winter looking for another another forward. Uh, you know, they tried Gallagher. They've you know they've Carolyn in the past. Um, they've tried they've tried to find people, and they're still back to Andy Moore and Alan Dillon. And you know, I'm I'm not. I, and I think they're very good players in Connacht, but. Are are they good enough to win Mayo and All Ireland? I'm not entirely sure, and that's you know that's that's their big problem. I mean, if you'd asked uh, James Horan, you know, last in the aftermath of last year's All Ireland final, what do they need to do? That's what he would have told you, and it doesn't kind of really look like they've they've done that. Still think when you put their six forwards against uh, up against any other six forwards in the country, probably 
bar Dublin when Dublin have the full outfit out I think it's as good as what's around mm. and I think I just think I think they're building <laughs> I, think they're, I hope this doesn't go back to bite me but I just think they're building they're building uh, better than they built last year I think they might have they might have been going a slightly better at this time last year but I think you know they've built nicely um, I think we'll see another step up in the quarterfinal. I think they're looking forward to getting back into Crow Park. It doesn't worry you though that they bring in, they brought in a couple of you. You talked about Tyrone bringing guys in, letting them go. That there was an element of that over the last couple of games. They're they're building, but they're they've kind of gone back to the guys who they built with in the last few years. Maybe they are the right guys. Maybe they just. I mean, these are players who've brought them to the cusp of. They've done it in the past, you know. But I mean, it, that's that's the idea. I mean, are they are they good enough to do it in the future? James Horn obviously had had doubts. Because he didn't start them against Roscommon, and you know he looked at uh, Young O'Shea, he looked at uh, Jeremy O'Connor, Gallagher in the league. As I said, that's the worry. I mean, that, that's the only worry yeah. because I think Mayor, you know, they do have a lot of very good players, but that that is the worry. But when you when you have O'Connor, uh, McLaughlin, if you, if Freeman, if you can get a little bit more out of Freeman and Doherty, I think if they can get more out of those two in particular, because I think they're natural finishers, if they can get more out of them. And I still maintain that they're not going to be that far away. Yeah, the rest of the draw that was made today for the qualifiers, Clare against Kildare, who had a good win in down. Cork plays Sligo, who beat Limerick. And I mentioned Galway against uh, against Tip, the high-scoring Tip, who might yeah. put up to your boys. Here. Yeah, I mean, you know, Galway were blessed to beat Tipperary in Pier Stadium last year, and it really looks like Tipperary have pushed on big time in that, in that space of time. Now, Galway might have got a little better as well. Um, but, I mean... You know, I, I think I think Tipperary are probably favourites for that game. You know, I I I, I you would have to you would have to still say. think on on Galway's second half showing yesterday that shows you enough that they you know they have a real chance in that game. I wouldn't be writing Galway off in any respect. I think if Galway had another goal, the one thing that sort of annoyed me about the, about the Galway performance and the reaction after it was that it seemed to be yeah not bad. We're ha- we're, we're we're happy enough with the fact yeah. that we've. That's a worrying place to be in, you know, for for a team. It's a worrying place to be if that's was reverberating from the manager. Uh, you know, he didn't look that disappointed at Alman Hall. He, he seemed to be happy enough with the fact that they'd run them close. I know they were beaten by 17 points uh, the year before, but I still don't think that that's the message you want to be sending out to your players. And that's the sort of message that I got off him last right. night. Well, the big message is from the weekend, Oshin that Armagh are back. Thanks very much for coming in. Thank you. Shane Curran with the kick out. The 42-year-old goalkeeper. Curran it out from goal. Here he comes. He tucked it. He fought it. He's 50 yards out from goal. What a day for us coming. All the mother niggas lame and you know it now. When the real dude will hold you down, you're supposed to drown. Bam. 1944 is the last time a senior tiger come out of here. And the one, 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 one with the last one. Bam. What do you think, Murph? Is it good to have Armagh back? Are you bothered one way or the other? Uh, well, it's always, you know, good to have Armagh back. Is it on? I'm, I, you know, I'm not entirely sure. I'll, well, I like Armagh. Yeah. I love that team that Oshin was yeah, part of. Um, I also love the Tyrone team, though, over those years. Actually, yeah. I kind of, no? And I'm not, well, no I, no, I was a big fan of Tyrone, very big fan of Tyrone. Um, the 05 All-Ireland Final is one of my favourite all-time sporting events that I was at. It was absolutely brilliant. Uh, and they were a brilliant team. Now, how, to what extent Armagh are back? Well, they've got to go to Roscommon next Saturday. I'm are Armagh favourites for that game. I'm not even sure that they are, to be honest. 
Um, so, you know, if they can back it up next week, you know, they were pretty terrible in the replay against Monaghan. So they've got to go to Roscommon and get something, Murph, and you would love it. Yeah, they're, Roscommon are still fighting for this All Ireland <laughs> title. <laughs> they're still Indeed. fighting for this uh, this title. All right, do uh, we hope you enjoyed today's show? Do have a listen to the World Cup podcast. We put that out. Uh, a little bit earlier on so it's ready for you now all the usual ways wherever whatever way you're listening to this one but you can check us out on irishtimes.com forward slash second captains you can listen on soundcloud on itunes on the podcast republic app if you're using an android do get in touch with us plenty of ways to do it but among them is to follow us on twitter at second captains murph thank you very much uh, thank you all. thanks again for listening and we will talk to you soon take care That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.